Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. things we say i'm sheldon and i'm nate and i just got back from philadelphia and i learned one fact while i was there give it that was that the declaration of independence was actually ratified on july 2nd yes and the founders were like july 2nd is gonna go down in history yeah as being the day that america declared independence i think john adams was the yeah, big proponent, yeah. proponent of that fact july yeah. 2nd is going to be the made thing. some pretty bold statements about yes. it and then july 4th was when they got around sending the document to the printer and and printer put on the top a hey, july 4th 1776 yep and here we are and here we are but it didn't take too long i mean they were celebrating july 4th pretty quickly pretty quick yeah while they but. could that was mainly because the declaration itself ended up getting distributed through the colonies. Right. And in print form, and people were reading it different places, and it had that date on it. So I was thinking about that the other day. Like, can you imagine just the, and you, I heard you mention this to somebody today, just about the reality of being in a room where a thing happened, like yes. a significant thing yep. happened. And just that thing where I sit there and I think to myself, like, can you imagine just being a regular citizen and this is happening around you like real time right now? Like your, your, your legislature is declaring we're independent from the greatest world power that has ever existed. And we hope France backs us up on this or else we're going <laughs> to all hang like that was basically what it was. And that's one of the things I love the most in the, in the John Adams miniseries, which is if you haven't seen is, I've not, Oh, it's phenomenal. Well acted, really accurate. Um, uh, drawn from actually John Adams' actual biography um, is where the majority of it comes from. But uh, the scene where they take their vote to decide whether or not they're actually going to declare their independence, you know, they go through and it's this big, you know, you know, accelerating music and it's just getting more and more, you know, vibrato and, and, and all these things as it's going, it's bigger and bigger. And then they finally take the last vote and it just goes dead silent. And you can literally see all of these men, the look on their face is like, okay, we realize what we have just done here. Yeah. And this seri- like the weight of the moment, like it's not just the grand, the grand moment, but the realization that that whole idea of like staking our, our lives, our fortunes, our sacred honors, like they were going to do that. And, uh, and I think Ben Franklin, after the fact, said something to the effect of, uh, we'll all, we'll all either hang together as in stay together yeah. or hang individually hang now. separately yeah. yeah and uh and it is man it's a it's a powerful powerful moment um in that film and i i i, ha- I actually have it i'll have to let you borrow it um yeah because it's it is it is phenomenal and really really well done well acted great cast just being in in the room where something weighty like that happened i i definitely felt it again yeah. when i was a kid i felt it in independence yeah. hall i felt it again it was One of those things like it's inside these walls is where that happened. And America's history is young enough 
that we have a lot of these places still standing. Yeah. And you can go there and you can walk them. You can stand yeah. in it. And I, I uh, was at Valley Forge too and was at Washington's headquarters on Valley Forge. Yeah. And uh, one of the tour guides there was really helpful because we were walking upstairs and she's like, some of this isn't totally original, but that banister is for sure yep. original. Like yep. Washington would have come down the steps each morning and like been down here. Touching that and banister. I'm like, that's bizarre that yeah. there's that banister there. You can touch it, feel it. And like that column at the bottom, like he was here yeah. in, in these yeah. walls and it's not all that long ago, but it is well, wild. And, and there is, I mean, and I know people. Although she said he hated staying at Valley Forge. <laughs> yes. Like there was 17 people in the house. He was yeah. not, not thrilled with the quarters yeah. and yeah. how tight it was. And I've, and I've been to Monticello. I've been to Mount Vernon. And so I've had some of those experiences. Actually, my uncle, uh, one of my favorite things that I know about him, <laughs> my, my cousin Ross, his dad, uh, I believe one time when he was in uh, at Monticello, he hung back while the rest of the group moved on and literally just stepped over the 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 chain that was there in in Jefferson's study and he didn't go like touching everything or whatever but just like this was the room where this man was and he did his thinking and he did his inventing and he did his stuff and just that feeling of there is an actual spiritual weight and I'm not just saying in the sense of America I think this is universal uh, when I went to when I went to London um, you know standing in the spot where where Winston Churchill gave such and such a speech. I mean, it was on a plaque in Parliament House, and I stood on the spot where Winston, like, there's a connection yeah. to history, and there's a connection to what's happened, and I do believe it's spiritual. I mean, I, I know I mentioned it to you. I don't remember if I mentioned it on the podcast, but the last time we went to Washington, I always loved that. I mean, I love the monuments and those kind of things, but not a whole lot happened in Washington. Right. Like, it's memories of things that happened in Pennsylvania, things that happened in other places, but one thing that absolutely happened in Washington was... Um, Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech. And I remember the last time I was there, and I've always had some kind of sense of greatness being in that in that spot. But there's just a little stone that's 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 carved in to say this was the spot essentially where Martin Luther King. And I remember at the time I just got down on my knee and I just kind of put a hand on it. And there was just that sense of like again, touching history and, and, right. and having a commonality, you know, almost being seated at the same table with the man, even though I'm not actually, right. and I know that. But it was a moment, like in a, in a significant moment in many ways that many spiritual moments have been for me. And so there is, there is something about being in a place where something has happened that has changed the course of human history. Yeah. And you get to be a part of it in some small way. And I, I asked... Uh the one of the guides that was at the uh, in Independence Hall or beside it, there's a, it's called the Essentials Room, and so it has the Declaration, one of the original printings yeah. of it, and a um, few other things. And I was like, so the handwritten copy that has all their handwritten signatures. I was like, is that the one that was sent to like King George or whatever? And she's like, yeah, he never really got a copy of it. <laughs> and I was like that's bananas that kind of like throws off my whole thinking and the whole <laughs> thing because it is a message to king george right. from the colonies right. saying hey we're independent and she's like yeah i mean eventually a copy probably ended up in the hands of the king but it wasn't like it was hand delivered to him right like there was a ship that got um basically either commandeered or capsized or something that had some of those documents on so they believe some of them made it yeah to him but it would have been more by 
right chance than by you know direct delivery yeah but i'm like yeah i i always thought of it as a letter that would have gone to him yeah for sure you put all for that sure. effort into it and you just go read it through the colonies and no one's like directly making sure the king <laughs> i don't know well, i guess he was three thousand miles away and that was a long I mean, he time already had declared that they were in a state of war right. which is why the occupying force was there right that they were rebelling against so from the king's position they had already it was already a, a deal yeah it was more them hammering out hey what this we're is actually our goal is yeah. our goal is not to be brought back into the fold our, our goal is to be done What's crazy about Independence Hall as well is that the Constitution was hammered out there too yeah. over like long, arduous meetings. And yep. I think about some of the meetings we've had at church just to decide vision and things like that where to come up with a mission statement, it was a good six hours, eight hours of our lives that yeah. we invested in that. And it felt like a lot at the time, but I can't imagine. Yeah. Comparatively, that was extremely short. Yeah. And I can't imagine, like, they they came up with the Articles of Confederation, and then that was basically like, we can't, terrible. can't get this all ratified. This is a fatally yeah. flawed document. We need something new and hammered out the Constitution. Yeah. And then immediately 10 amendments to it, right? You know, right. first 10 amendments, bam, 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 bam. Yep. It just, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it is it is interesting because, I mean, I, I've even, and I, I said a minute ago, like, you know, where, where world-changing things happen, but... Again, I I remember being, you know, I went to St. Augustine, Florida, and there was a fort there. And one of the uh, things that was done there was um, uh, Indians who were being transferred from one place to another were basically held there. And there were carvings, you know, uh, tribal carvings, names, things that were mm-hmm. written in there. Some of them were uh, clearly uh, uh, what would have been English-speaking men there that were writing their names and the dates and stuff. But I... At the time, you could go up and touch these carvings. It was they weren't behind. They're now, I think, behind like plexiglass or something, so you can't. Because I'm sure people touching them, it was wearing them down. Right. And but like, even that sense of like, so and so was here from this date to this date, and they carved this into the wall, and I'm here touching the thing that they carved with their own hand and a rock, you know, whatever. And there was like, I don't know that person, but I was connected to that person in that moment. And and that's what history has always been for me. It's always been the person it's always been the people it's never just been events it's never just been no, dates yeah um you know gettysburg is an amazing place where you get that sense as well um because they have so well marked you know where lines literally were where they started where they ended where people stood where you know people died i mean all of those things um it's just it, there is i'm sad for people who don't understand the connectivity that you can have to history yeah and when when you're in independence hall they were telling the story this time of abraham lincoln coming back into that hall Mm. and making this speech like i would rather be assassinated on this spot than see what the founders crafted here fall apart yeah i how powerful (laughs) like that man was wonderful yeah and then they said like after he was shot he lied in state in that room Mm -hmm. and and so he did come back to that spot after he had been assassinated like that some of that you don't get anywhere else in the world yeah and uh yeah it was i forget what it was uh there was they were either talking about hammering out the constitution or something like that. And the tour guide was like, and usually I say, 
you know, this delegation was here and this delegation was here, but Rhode Island, they didn't even bother coming. She's like, anybody here from Rhode Island? Like a whole delegation. And she's like, usually I say, oh, they're not here today either. <laughs> but there was a whole bunch of people there. So they're like, we're here. We're here now. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's wonderful. funny. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Jess was like, the one thing that was missing for her was, there, and, and I think for some personalities, you almost need it. The, the tour guides are talking the whole time. Yeah. So, and so you don't get to spend like your your uncle hanging back and just taking a moment in that space. You don't get that time to just sit and kind of feel and listen and process what what this is because there's all this action, other people, people right. talking the whole time. And yeah, so hmm. that that's the only part that I think is missing. But yeah. Valley Forge is huge. Yeah. That's one thing I didn't realize. We did like six hours of walking. Oh, wow. Or six miles. That's what it was. Okay. It wasn't six hours. but Yeah. yeah. I need to go. I, I've, I've never been, never been to Philly Yeah. for any reason, let alone for that. And I need to, I need to go. Like the historical aspect is vastly interesting to me. Yeah. So the Liberty Bell was powerful too. Yeah. Like there's pictures of Dr. King in front of the Liberty Bell. Yeah. And like. Um, a whole bunch of different people. I didn't realize when uh, South Korea uh, was freed, they sent a delegation over and like there's a picture of them in front of the Liberty Bell. And uh, when Ghana claimed their independence, they came and stood in front of the Liberty Bell. Really? Yeah, it's it's weird. The number of people that uh, the Dalai Lama and like it just different or was it? No, uh, maybe I'm getting that. Yeah, that would have been the Dalai Lama in the picture that I'm remembering. But yeah. yeah, there's just a number of they they you walk through the hall before you see the bell of all the different people that have either stood in front of it or where it's been and kind yeah. of the history of it. Which it used to be just outside in this little portico thing and now it's inside this whole like room. Okay. And and you walk in. It's still free. Yeah. Liberty Bell is free. Independence Hall is free. You just get tickets online so that everybody that wants Gets to get through, through can yeah. get through. Um, but everything in and around that area is a national park, so it's all free, except for the new Constitution Center that they built. Okay. Um, but that, that I think, you have to pay to get into. But so not like it wasn't a disappointment like Plymouth Rock? <laughs> oh, Plymouth Rock is the worst. <laughs> I think I've said it on the podcast before, but you if have. you had a Toyota Tundra, you could throw the whole thing in the back and just leave. <laughs> There's no way they actually put the Mayflower on that rock. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Well, yeah, I'm think, like, isn't the real Plymouth Rock, you know, something of a boulder? Well, and the thing is, I think that they didn't even actually technically land at Plymouth Rock. I think they yeah. were like miles down the beach. Well, the same thing happened in Australia when I was there in Sydney. They're like, oh, this is where, oh, who was the guy? Oh, son, it's escaping me. Some prison ship? <laughs> that was an explorer. It's really escaping me now. Oh yeah, what's his name? Yeah, the, the dude. He's famous. Yeah, and everybody's screaming it right now. Oh, and he's but got a he's got a really like yeah cool name. Yeah, oh, I what's know. What's his name? <laughs> I don't know. Somebody told me three Crap. weeks ago, and I can't remember. Oh no. <laughs> but they're like, oh yeah, he actually landed up here, and then he's like, ah, that's not suitable, and so he came down here and this actually disembarked here. Two. You know, oh, but. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to look it's that up. not Leif Erikson or something like no, that. I no, know who he Lee is, but it's like, I don't know. It's some. Ah. Well, anyway, yes. that's not why we're here. No, it's not. But so that that's a little bit really, of an aside. Really but yes, visit your historical sites in your area. It's worth doing. 
I think America builds too many statues. We've said, I've said that before. Yeah. I think it's a weird thing to build statues out of people. Um, <laughs> but it does help for the remembering. Um, and at Valley Forge, where they did all their marching, the guy that ran all that stuff, his name is famous too, and it's escaping me. But uh, they had a statue of him there, and you could actually look out over the plane, and you could imagine it full of troops yeah. in formation. You talked about the Prussian guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Susa? Yeah. Was yeah, it whatever. Susa? No. No, crap. Here we go. And I probably have a statue of him in, in a picture of picture his statue. Of my yeah. Phone, so. It's a really it's a it's a really weird name. Yeah. It's like an overly grandiose name. This one is a horrible he, podcast. One that he really we didn't cannot well, remember this isn't, anything. This isn't what we were going to talk about, but no, we got on a tear, okay. so I'm okay with it. Hmm. Yeah, well. At least I think he was Prussian. Yes, he was. I know that part is true. Yeah. What was his name? I'm looking at a statue of him to see if I can find the name. <laughs> Wilhelm Baron von Steuben. Yes, Friedrich, yes. Friedrich Wilhelm Baron von Steuben, Major General. Yes, there's the picture of him. <laughs> so, yes, sir. Yeah, and, and it's crazy. There's a whole field out in front of him. You can kind of imagine all of that. <laughs> it's pretty cool. So, anyway, that's... That's not why we're here, but... No, but here we are nonetheless. Yeah. I wish I could remember that guy's name. <laughs> the guy that found Australia. It's like, but it is. It's like a really grandiose... Forgive us, folks. It's 10.30 at night. It is, but who cares? Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, we don't have to worry about that. I keep running into Captain Kidd, which obviously I know is not that, but that sounds very Australian, even though I know it's not. Not that it was Australian, because the only Australians would have been Aborigines at the moment, at the time. James Cook. Cook. Captain yeah. Cook. Captain Cook. Yes, Captain Cook. Okay, so I wasn't too far off with Captain yeah. Kid. That's why I kept <laughs> knocking on that. Yeah. Yes, all right, good. I feel better now. Whew. All right. I literally just felt something just <laughs> release in my brain, so I'm good. So <laughs> Dopamine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you handling there, Sheldon, in your hand right now? <laughs> I didn't even know why I brought these along. <laughs> we came across some chick tracks, and we mentioned this on an episode with Nelson. <laughs> uh, when was that? That was a long time ago. It was on our Dungeons and Dragons episode yes. that yes. we did with episodes. Nelson Hicks. Episodes. Yeah, yes, we did two plural. episodes on it. And we talked about Jack Chick and just um, some of the fraud that he was. Yeah. Um, but his tracks are still really popular. And for some reason uh, that we won't get into, we ran into a whole bunch of children's chick tracks, which are terrifying, as terrifying as you might expect. Yeah. And if you don't know what a chick tract is, I'm saying chick like C H I C K and tract like T R A C T. Yeah. Here's a weird aside. When somebody spells things out for me, I can't visualize it at all. <laughs> as like, in, you, you can't, can you don't it. see the word, you just I hear the jumble of letters. I hear the letter that you're saying. Yeah. It doesn't appear in my brain. And if it does, it's an A by itself. And then whatever <laughs> you say next just replaces it. And I can, it doesn't like, it's not like a typewriter. <laughs> and so then when you get done spelling it out, I kind of remember back. Did they say S and then <laughs> P? Like, I don't remember. So you and Jess never spelled things in front of the kids is what you're saying. Short words. <laughs> <laughs> what is like three letters, your limit? Like, I, what's your? I don't know. It's, it gets tough after six because <laughs> <laughs> trying to hold separate things. It's uh -huh. really difficult. I can't have anybody spell things for me. But chick tracks are basically these short tracks that are supposed to lead people to Jesus in some way. But I think mostly scare them yeah. into 
not wanting to lose their eternal soul. Yes. And uh, probably the most terrifying one is where the prayer that this girl prays, she's having a friend over, and she prays the, now I lay me down to sleep and pray the Lord my soul to keep it. Yeah. If I die before I wake, pray the Lord my soul to take. take. And yeah. the friend is like, what do you mean the soul to take thing? And she says... She says this in the cartoons in here. It's to like, her friend. And they're yeah. they set up like in a comic book they're form. They're comic book form and terrifying illustrations. Oh, yeah. Like Even the people when white. they're supposed to look normal, they look scary. Yeah. And for odd reasons, I have no idea why. But Malnourished it says, and weird. It says, she says, because when you die, two groups will be there to grab your precious soul. Who are they, Hannah? Jesus and his angels are in one group and devils are in the other group. I don't want the devils to grab my soul. I'm scared. Hannah, how do I get Jesus to take my soul? <sighs> Jesus knows that everybody does naughty things. He calls that sin. We are all sinners. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. I'm not sure this actually saves anybody. No. I mean, and, and I've said this before. To I've I've been in youth ministry for like 16 years. And so one of the things that I, I get around to saying a number of times is I am currently being saved. Yeah. I will be saved someday. And I was saved at some point. Right. Those things are all true. Yes. And that's how salvation is. Right. It's not, it's not, we're not, um, wizards. Right. We don't say an incantation incantation and poof. Yeah. Here I am. Yeah. You know, it, it's, well, and it's that's a, the thing is, it's is, a present active reality right. that you live out in faithfulness, in obedience, in allegiance to Jesus. And I'm, I'm currently doing a, a Revelation Bible study with, our, with the kids at church. And one of the things that we're reading through the letters to the churches and Jesus is saying, wake up, strengthen what remains. You're, it's about to die. You yeah. know? And some of the churches, he's like, if you don't, correct some of this stuff. I'm going to come. I'm going to remove the lampstand from your place. He's not saying this to the world. He's saying it to the church. Right. Like, strengthen what remains. Wake up. And some of the churches, he's like, yes, you're doing good. Keep at it. Do the things that you that you know you should be, that, that you were doing at first, but do more of those things and, and stay faithful to what you've been taught. And all of that, that uh, encouragement is there. And then at the end of each of the letters, he gives a promise for those that overcome, for those that persevere. And so salvation is not just a prayer. It may include a prayer. Right. It well, may And people people misunderstand what the whole sinner's prayer concept came from. And that was we want to make sure people understand what they are doing and that they can articulate what they're doing. Right. It was not these are the words that save you. Because the words don't save you. No, the words don't save you. It is Jesus and his blood alone and faith alone in that blood and what it has done and his resurrection that saves you. So if you never knelt down and prayed the words of the sinner's prayer, but you stood up and said, yes, I've heard and I understood and I believe that Jesus died for my sins, that his his blood was shed, that it covers me, and that he was raised from the dead, okay, that's it. You are a believer. That is is what it takes. It's about allegiance. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, it's saying, I believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. And that's why baptism is so critical. Baptism is that public declaration. Yeah, It's saying to the world, I identify with these things. Yes. In a time where there were no PAs and no ways for somebody to get up and give their testimony, having a baptism was the 
the surest, quickest way to see that people actually understood and that they were affirming what they were doing. Yeah. But yeah, these these are these are all and and most of you, if you ever had gospel tracks that you hung on to or had to pass out as a kid or teenager or whatever, likely these were the these ones are you the had. Ones. They're just little, you know, little pocket sized, long, uh, longer than they are tall, uh, little booklets, and they and they have these. And and again, like I, they're huge into the penal substitutionary very, atonement. Like very, Jesus was punished for right, our sins, right? Which is one of the many metaphors that is used in Scripture to talk about salvation and what it was. But it is not the thing. Like, Just like no, no, no version of it is the thing. It is. It is kind of all of them. My favorite is at the end, what you need to do. If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, you've just begun a wonderful new life with him, now read your Bible, KJV, <laughs> every day to get to know Jesus Christ better. Yes. Make sure to read your Bible, KJV, KJV. it says. <laughs> oh, man. And that was one of my kids' first questions in one of these. They were reading it, and they're like, what does... God will provide and help meet for him. Oh. When they're talking about Adam and Eve, and I'm like, and help meet. Yeah, I, I, that's Shakespearean English. It's basically he's going to find a mate for them. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He needs a helper who is meet, quote, just right for him. Okay. And that's the thing is, like, I always struggle with this kind of thing because it's one of those deals where you're like, but you, for Adam, there was not found an help meet for him. <sighs> and so when they're describing it, they can't change the words of the Bible. Right. So they'll put so they the have exact to quote King Jamesy version. And help meet. And I'm like, yeah, it's not helpful for a kid that's reading it. No. They're, they're confused. Right. But the words were right, so it's okay. Yes. And see, part of my struggle is like, I, I want to believe that these things were produced in good faith and i believe that there are many people who who use them or attempt to use them that are completely sincere yeah and 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 legitimate in what they're trying to do but i i just have a hard i have a hard time with 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 seeing these as good faith uh good intentioned things as opposed to i mean first of all divorcing the gospel and the spreading of the gospel from relationship. Yeah. And I don't even mean relationship with God, no. but I mean relational spreading of the gospel is already antithetical to the gospel. There right. is not a biblical case that you can make anywhere that just handing somebody a piece of paper that scares them and tells them all the things without actual relationship with them. And I'm not just talking, talking to somebody on the street. I mean, which is the same problem I have with like, you know, the street preacher, I'm going to come out and pray for your healing isn't Jesus awesome? Okay, see you later. Like I'm like, that does not interest me at all. Like there is no relationship being formed there. And yes, you may be quote planting a seed, which is typically what you get told with this. But like you're not doing the actual work of of spreading the gospel. You're not willing right. to pour out your life to help this person understand who Jesus is and be in relationship with them and care for them. You're just I don't know I don't know what it is. I don't know what you're doing, and and that confuses me. And and. Uh, what what did Jesus do with sinners? Right. He ate and drank with them. Yeah. To the point that people 
tried to malign his character and call him a glutton and, and a, a drunkard. drunkard. Yes, which we've also talked about before. <laughs> we've talked about a lot of things. I don't know what whether or not that was on air, but yeah, it, it was. It was just one of those things that I've thought about. Jesus was a relational person as yes. he walked the earth, and we should be relational as well in the spreading of the gospel. Have to be. You have to be. You have to be. Because how is somebody going to persevere and walk alongside you if you just like? Drop the truth and run away. Right. Right. And especially with no context. Yeah. A truth that they may not be able to understand, a truth that they may not have ever been exposed to and have absolutely no window or lens for and it Even all. less chance if it's written in a language that hasn't been spoken in right. several Since hundred the years. 1600s. <laughs> yeah. But I digress. <laughs> yes, that's a whole other thing. Bible versions is a whole... We could do a podcast on that one. Uh, Bible goodness. versions is fun. Bible versions but is fun. Yes. A, a lot of our discoveries that have informed um, Bible translation in, in the last, uh, have happened in the last hundred years. Yes. Like some of the biggest discoveries ever. And I, I, I think it was on uh, Dr. Heiser's podcast, he was talking about how um, when Bible translators are looking back at the Old Testament, the earliest manuscripts we had were in Greek Septuagint. Yeah. And people will think, oh, yeah, there was some Hebrew Bible that survived all the way down through. There wasn't. Yeah. Um, the, we don't have that unbroken chain. You're, right. When we're looking back, the oldest text that we had was Greek Septuagint. And so there's some things where they were looking at the Old Testament. They'd say, man, wouldn't it be great to hold those documents that they were looking at when they made the Greek Septuagint? Yeah. That would be so helpful and some fragments were among the Dead Sea Scrolls. Right. Some of that right. stuff was found, um, some of the Hebrew texts and things like that that helped give context to what the translators were looking right. at when they were doing Greek Septuagint and some of that stuff. So um, I'm trying to remember, was it in a scene sect that, was, yeah. that had stored up the Dead Sea Scrolls? Right. And, yeah. Anyway, so that that... Even there, even just that alone, it's like that was so helpful to translators in the modern age. And now, instead of just grabbing documents and trying to do your best with understanding what's in front of you, these are all digitized now. You can go look up this document, that document, right. the other one. You can start comparing them, putting them together in ways that, I mean, the people that did the King James Version did a very, very good job with, with what, what they, they were they handed. Yep. And, but being able to gather all the texts from all the different dig sites that we've had and being able to put them all together, compare them, contrast them, and get to a better understanding of where we're at today. Right. Even that by itself is worth tons and tons of, of weight yeah. in, in saying this meant this and this meant that. Yeah. You know? So uh, the Bible is one of the best preserved books of its age. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's already a faithful uh, translation right? As, it, all the way down through. And it's like, oh, the argument for the King James is always like, well, it was good enough to save my grandpa, so it's good yeah. enough to save me. Yes, I get that. Right. Like, God's word is present active. It will accomplish its purpose right. with whatever we have. But it's not, it's not that we can't pour, like, people can't pour their life work into making it right. more better, you know, improving it, right. bringing it into a modern tongue is a good idea. Right. I don't know. I, I always I always think about it this way. If you <laughs> discovered some tribe that hadn't received a translation yet, 
do you go back and translate it into what they were speaking 400 years ago? Right. Or would you try to bring it into the most uh, right. up-to-date well, translation thing, that you could? The thing that I think is so funny about the arguments that people tend to make for King James only stuff is that you're essentially making the same argument that was made against actually making an English translation of the Bible at all. Yeah, the, like, the no, church didn't want to, to make an right. English translation. Because it was a common tongue. It was not worthy of, of the sacredness right. of Scripture. And and obviously at the time there it was It was only supposed some, to be Latin, correct? Right, and there was some power dynamics attached to that at the time. Right. You know, we're the ones who are supposed to hold the knowledge. You have to come to us. Um, not exclusively. There were there were other, other motivations behind that. But... Um, you're making the same argument, and, and it didn't work then, and it doesn't work now, and it doesn't hold up. It just doesn't. There, there is new, there is better, and it's not because better because that was inferior. It's just, like Sheldon said, we know more, we understand more, we have more context, and new things have been discovered since then that bring clarity to that. And in Revelation, it's especially odd because John's Greek grammar is not great no. in some places. And people are like, did John just like not know Greek? Or <laughs> sometimes his grammar is Weird. less than perfect yeah. or it just seems odd. And and uh, one of the best explanations I heard for that was a Greek scholar who said that John thought in Hebrew, but he spoke in Greek. Yeah, And so he's thinking of this Hebrew concept or something in Greek Septuagint, and he wants... He wants to leave the Hebrew wording phraseology intact, yeah. but he does it in Greek. Yeah. And so sometimes that's confusing. And people are like, well, why would he do it? Un unless you knew both Greek and Hebrew well enough. And how many of those people are there in the world? <laughs> and how many of them are willing to spend enough time diving deep into Revelation to talk about it? There yeah. really isn't a lot of people that will do this. Yeah. Uh, it, it is a relatively small number of people. Yeah. And they're just not willing to talk in the common tongue right. of, you know, the everyday people because they're scholars. They don't actually care about, <laughs> and they shouldn't. It's not like they should spend their time right. dumbing everything down for me and trying to help me out. Right, right. <laughs> but again, there's also the part of it's like, well, what is the point of your scholarship, so to speak, yeah. if you cannot disseminate what you have learned to others? And I know I, I talked about him before, but um, I was introduced to Dr. Michael Heiser's podcast, The Naked Bible Podcast. Yeah. I was introduced to that for one episode, and it was on the head covering of First Corinthians. Right. Um, basically, the idea that women have to have their head covered when they pray, and men have to have their head uncovered. And what because that, of the angels. What that means. And it's because of the angels, and it has to do with modesty. <laughs> And it's so very confusing. <laughs> and uh, he does a whole podcast on it. It is exceptional. I'm creeping and up it, on that one. And it is the only explanation. And I've been in a Mennonite denomination that taught the head covering. Yeah. And so I've heard entire sermons on it. I've heard expository sermons on it. I've heard it from every angle. And trust me, none of them left me satisfied <laughs> and smiling. <laughs> It, it, uh, they always lack something. And so I was really curious. And Heiser himself is a Greek, not, not a Greek scholar, Hebrew scholar. Yeah. And he's big into ancient Near East texts and, and culture. And uh, basically, he came to be a believer a little bit 
uh, later in his teenage years and just fell in love with the Bible and assumed that everyone would love the the Bible as much as he did in church and found out that wasn't the case. And so he began to study and like go find, found his home in the field of study of like getting into ancient Hebrew, ancient Near East uh, culture and keeps branching out from there. But his goal is faithfulness to the Bible. So, and he is actually one of those scholars who his passion, because his passion is for the Bible, he also has a passion for people and wanting to explain the weird things of the Bible. Right. And he's like, to scholars, these things are not weird. And a lot of these things that we just read through and we're like, huh, I don't know what they were talking about there. Right. Uh, just keep going. Like the Corinthians head covering. It's like, whew, okay, all right. It's some some reason because of the angels and uh, I don't know. I don't right, need to right, read that right. again. I think we're good. I, I don't know what we're doing here. And just keep moving. And he's like, no, there's actually a really good explanation for this. And I won't ruin his whole podcast, but it has to do with um, basically Paul you have to understand, was a second temple Jew living in a Greek-Roman culture. Right. And their medicine, their understanding, he, he makes an argument from nature. He says, well, of course, this is natural. Women would have long hair. Men would have short hair. And he makes this argument back to nature. And people are like, where would he get this from nature? Because today, our scientific understanding of nature is one way, but our medical science has come a long way. Oh, and yeah. so has... And the whole thing goes back to reproduction. Yeah. And they were convinced that your hair was tied to your reproductive yeah. uh, process. Yeah. And basically, it was a sign of uh, virility, like uh, of that, that you were more fertile as a woman if you had long hair. Like, that helped in that yeah. process. Yeah. And, um, and so that was... And he goes back to, like, um, Hippocrates yeah. writing right. and some... The guy who created the Hippocratic Oath, right, right, like, right. like there. So all of he's pulling on all these Greek sources, and he's like, "Here's what Paul's talking about." And he's like, "I'm not even going to use the Bible. I'll just go through these Greek texts, and I'll explain it to you." Yeah. And then he goes back to the Bible, and it is the most bananas thing you have ever heard, <laughs> and it makes perfect sense. <laughs> and that's Heiser in a nutshell. And well, so, and, and so, so where did because. Sheldon's gotten me on to, to Heiser now, so I'm yeah. listening to. It's called the Naked Bible Podcast. I'm listening through to that now, and I'm I've I'm just binging it every day. I'm listening to it. But how how did you get introduced to him specifically? Uh, I think through Instagram. There it was. I was following some of the guys from Theosu. Okay. And they they say some edgy stuff here and there just to get. Uh, people interested in in theological right. things, so they'll make a tough theological argument, and then you have to follow it through and see where it's going. So yeah. I was kind of clicking on some of that, and they were basically they had mentioned Heiser, and they and they said one of the things that they start some people off on that that it's like okay, you have to go listen to this episode, and that where Heiser explains a head covering, yeah. and then come back to me and tell me that original meaning doesn't matter yeah that it's just all about how it applies to me right and how i feel about the text when i read it and how does the word hit me now like the author's original intent who cares yeah right and why should i get to know paul why do i need to understand wh- who he was or any of the context why do i care right i just have the bible that's good enough 
And he's like, it's not good enough if you're going to understand this. And right. he pointed somebody back to that episode. So I went and listened to the episode and I'm like, this is fascinating. <laughs> and perhaps the only explanation my entire life that has made sense. Made any sense. And there's there's been maybe four or five of those along the way. Um, but I will say that Heiser going through Leviticus. Is, I'm in the middle of that right now. Is the best thing that I've heard. Now, I for those of you that want to get all up in arms, hey, if his divine counsel thing isn't for you, wonderful. I mean, you don't have to believe it right. to be a Christian, and you don't have to see the world the way Heiser sees the world. However, what I will say is he plants some interesting Easter eggs that if you dive into it, yeah. there's a lot of settled scholarship behind the things that he says. So you can't, you can't as a lay person, just say Heiser is stupid. Yeah. He's not stupid. The one of my that favorite he says is said very very carefully. One of my favorite things that Leviticus he said was good. One of my favorite things that he said early on in the podcast was, "I will never bring you my opinion, and call it teaching." Right. He said, "If I don't have like real scholarship to back something, I'll tell you like I kind of think it might be this. Like I make I may give a little opinion, but I'll you'll know that it's my opinion. But I will not call it teaching if it's my opinion because right. I have nothing to back it up with." And I was like, "Okay." And it, and. I don't mean to say like settled scholarship. Scholarship is, especially biblical scholarship, is a field that is often hotly debated. Yes. And there's papers going back and, and forth. Constantly evolving. Constantly and evolving. And it's not something that you just wade into lightly or, or say, oh, this is nailed down. Like, this is right. fact. Right. These are, I mean, and I used to, I, I will say, and just getting a little more personal, I used to kind of despise that whole field. Yeah, like just like kind of textual criticism. Yeah, textual yeah. criticism or con or yeah, uh, context criticism or whatever. Like historical criticism. Um, there's there's all these different criticisms and and fields of study and all that. And I used to kind of poo poo that biblical scholarship right. thing. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know what matters is saving souls and like, yeah. you know, doing the real work of the gospel and all of that. And then you get into like some people that have invested their whole lives into getting a working knowledge of a language that they have no right not heard anyone speak right. fluently it's not in a culture that you can just go immerse, your, immerse yourself in right like they have developed the ability to understand write and and do all that stuff right poured their life into it and they didn't care whether or not I could understand right, what they right. were talking about. That to me is fascinating and it's worth something. Yeah. hundred percent. So I'm through, through kind of diving in there and, and through the studies that I've been doing for ministry, it really has been helpful to say the pursuit of truth is a worthwhile pursuit. Yeah. Even if it takes really, really hard things and tough debate, and this is the reason we have free speech. This is the reason that Christianity is, is growing in depth and, and uh, I will say conviction in some ways because some people are taking the time to do the hard yeah. and serious work of ferreting all this stuff out. Right. It's helpful. It's helpful in a lot of ways. Well, and I think, I think for me, I'm coming to realize that it's kind of a remedy for the deconstructionist movement. Because so much of the deconstructionist movement is based on dogma that is not necessarily even scriptural, that is right. not contextually correct at all, but it's just what somebody was told their entire lives, and in some cases, 
figuratively, but also in some cases, literally had it beat into them as children or as teenagers and then are just rejecting it out of hand because there's no room for discussion. There's no room for talking about what was going on in the culture, what was going on well, at the time and what those things, what kind of things were happening. There. For the same reason that I out of hand will reject a chick track. Right. I don't trust what it's founded on. Right. I, there's, there's so many, so much quacky theology in some of it that it's, it's tough to navigate, right. and I'm like, okay, I can see how someone would get one of these and be like, yeesh, if this is Christianity, I, I don't, I'm don't gonna, want it. Yeah. I, and part of I, I under I get why people get into deconstruction. I get the why yeah. of saying, I've been taught some things that are garbage and some things that are true, right? and I can't tell what is what, so I'm going to take it all apart and piece it back together. And to that I will say, then call yourself a constructionist. Yes. If you're into building, I'm with you. Well, the problem is is that deconstructionists all get around other if people. If the goal is to build back yeah. truth, though, that's, but that's what But the problem is, is deconstructionists all get around other deconstructionists who only know how to deconstruct and don't know how to build anything. Yeah. And so they end up with a pile of bricks that they just end up going, well, okay, guess I'm not doing this anymore, and they walk away. One of the things I like about what Heiser does is it gives reasonable room for discussion it gives reasonable answers when there are answers to be had right and is willing to also say we don't really know what this is we don't really know what this means we don't really know why this is a thing and for me who has always rejected deconstructionism 100 percent out of hand um, i've seen the results of it it's never good just out of hand i reject the philosophy that it's built on it is given a new a new window for me to ask questions and even explore my own ownership of faith as I'm continuing to grow in it. Right. Because that, I think that's really an essential thing as you're growing is being able to articulate and understand these things for yourself. It's not just about experience. Although the experiences are valid, the experiences are necessary, but there has to be knowledge to go along with these experiences and vice versa. You can't just be all full of knowledge with no experience because it's completely pointless as well. Um, but it's really been fascinating for which me. Which is where I was kind of at. Like yeah. where I valued the experience, uh, which is kind of what I found in the charismatic movement is yeah. that we we value experience over uh, more erudite pursuits, like more uh, academic pursuits. Right. It's like, well, it, the, and the thing is, knowing God and experiencing his presence is what it's all about. Right. Yes. Yes, that, uh, I get that. I feel that. I am all about those things but there you also have to have a reason for the hope that you have right it needs to be a reasonable faith as well like engage all of it well and i think not only that but i think that some of the knowledge aspect actually gives when you're when you're in a completely experiential mode and mindset you chase a lot of rabbit trails yep you you end up wasting a lot of effort and energy and time and chasing things that just are completely irrelevant. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've known who've gotten on really big bandwagons of various spiritual movements, whether it's the whole, you know, like looking at the satanic panic thing or looking at some different things. And if you just had some proper biblical and cultural context for what Paul was actually talking about or what Daniel was actually talking about, it would help you yeah. not have to chase those rabbit trails. Um, and again, for me, it's just been 
I've I've gone from the mode of like, oh well, you know, whatever. That's just kind of odd, and and not necessarily ignoring it, but not worrying about it. To now getting a lot more curiosity and a lot more, I feel depth about some of these things scripturally that I've always kind of wondered about. I just had which episode it was, and it like flashed right across <laughs> my screen and went away because. Apple's podcast app is abominable. It is it's screwy at times. That's it's very true. Not, not good. Um, there it is. Naked Bible podcast number 86. The head covering of 1 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15. That is, I will try and post it at the bottom of this episode where you can just click on it and yeah. find it. I don't know if that's possible, but I should be able to put a link in okay, there. But, okay. Um, yeah. Naked Bible podcast number 86. But, but yeah, yeah, that's worth it. It's it's a fascinating it's a kind of been a fascinating journey for me, um, and again part of it even ties back to this whole history thing that we've been talking about is it it puts me in the shoes and mindset of the people who were writing scripture, yeah and and some of the things that they were actually pulling from and some of the things they were referencing and the things that they understood culturally that they were speaking to and I don't mean like oh this just has only mattered to this culture but no who they were, what their culture was, informed why they thought a particular way or why they were speaking to a particular issue. Um, it's just, it's really, really interesting. Um, and for me, has given me a whole new way to approach the Bible. Um, and really, I would even say a, a whole new way to take hold of my, my faith that I've already had. Yeah. It's, it's not like I have faith that I didn't have or anything like that. Nope. It was there. It was solid. It's not, it wasn't, it wasn't going anywhere. It wasn't changing, but it's just, it's, a, it's just a deeper thing to sink my fingers into. Yeah. And if, if you do love the Bible, if it is the wellspring of life for you, if that is something that, Hey, this strengthens my faith, then I, for me, it is one of those things. I just want to know more about what I'm reading. Right. I, I honestly, if it's Heiser that can show me or if somebody else can show me more right. about what I'm reading, I, there's a number of other people that I've looked at for Revelation. You know, his interest in Revelation is not my interest, but right. his interest in going through Revelation is more, if I see something that's of interest to me as an Old Testament scholar, I'll touch on it. If not, I don't care about it. I'm just yeah. moving on. Yeah. You know, not, not that he doesn't care about it, but he's like, eh, I'm not going to spend time on the podcast. It's not his point. He's not doing a verse by verse breakdown right. of Revelation, but it's like, Right. Oh, this this I know yeah. for sure is Old Testament, and this is Old Testament. Right. And here it is. And yeah, why. his his whole walk through yeah. Acts was awesome too. Yeah. Just seeing him tie all these things back to the Old Testament, to the fall, and to the dispersion of the nations, and and all of this stuff. I mean, oh my word! And I know that guys. I'm sorry. I know this doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but just listen to the podcast if you've got any interest yeah. in this. It's it's worth hearing. Um, it's awesome stuff. I've handed it. I've handed it to a couple of people. I guess sent it to a, more well, than a few people. The the other thing is. Uh, coming through like charismatic stream, we grab acts and we're like, okay, um, this, this is a brand new thing that just falls out yep. of thin air. Out like, of the sky. Here it comes Pentecost. Boom. And then all this stuff, here's all the things the apostles did. And isn't this wonderful? And we're, we're excited. We're hype about it. Right. And if we aren't deeply rooted in the old Testament, sometimes it's like, we miss the threads. Right. We miss why the why behind some of these things. And here's a real quick, for instance, the Tower of Babel. Yeah. And the fact that languages, tons of different languages were understood in one moment at Pentecost. It was 
a total reversal of the curse of Babel. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. As soon as he said it, I was like, I get it. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Babel, everybody's spread out and it's separating everyone. And here the spirit comes again and the spirit says, here in this moment, that curse is right. broken. And he and talks about what's the phrase? He used the phrase reclaiming the nations. This was the beginning of the reclaim. And then goes into the fact that like you, you get all these specific places that are called out. Because again, at the time, there were only certain nations that were known. You know, the right. world was a smaller place. The table of the, nations yeah. wasn't the whole world no. as we know it today. And they didn't understand that. There was, right. no, there was no context for that. And so for them, it was all of the world needs to be reclaimed because it was all lost and everything, but is this little plot of Israel, you know, these people of these Hebrews were essentially abandoned to other gods and God's like, I'm going to, I'm going to deal with these people. These are going to be my people. And that was all started to be, that was all the beginning of setting that right. And so they call out all these specific places that were there and the, and the people that heard these things. But then Later on in scripture, there are places like like with the Ethiopian or like, well, these people were from that region or from that. That's not just to say, oh, this is who they were. No, this is to tell you there are believers in these nations. This nation is being reclaimed as well. You yep. know, God is taking his his remnant out of these nations as well. So And he points out that Israel was still in exile. Yeah. They considered themselves to be in exile that only the tribes of Judah, the tribe of Judah basically had returned from exile. And so everybody else, the other 10 tribes, they weren't, they weren't back yet. So it wasn't over. Yeah. And And you even see this, you know, this is still to the Jewish people. I mean, obviously as these nations were gone, you know, at Pentecost, it was a bunch of Jews from all of these nations that were gathered. So it was first to the Jew. Um, The same, when you look at the, the last one of these you see before, they start going out to the nations is 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 the Ethiopian, right? Um, and but there is a significant Jewish connection to Ethiopia right. that most people don't know about, and so it was once again in that culture saying, and here here's the the furthest reaches that we know the Jews have been and where they are, it has been reached. So now we can go to the Gentiles. Now it can go beyond because it's gone to all the Jews, quote all the Jews. Now it can go out to all the Gentiles. And that's something if you look back at Babel. The story of Babel ends. God curses every like everyone, disperses the nations, and whether or not it's close in um, chronology, yeah, or not, it is right next chapter in the Bible. God calls Abraham out, and he says, "Okay, I dispersed all the nations. Let me grab my guy, and I'm going to build." This guy's faithful to me. I'm going to use him as an example. And I'm going to reclaim all of these. I'm going to cl- reclaim all of them through him. Yeah. And that's the promise. That's the promise to Abraham. And and you see it. I, I've often said this when we get into the subject of election. Like the Israelite people, were they elect? Yes. Yes, absolutely they were. Were a number of them apostate enough that they had to go into exile? Yeah. Not all of them followed through, and we won't see all of them in heaven. Some were faithful. Right. And then you can see, if as you're reading down through, oh, Rahab just gets to come right on in. Right. Ruth comes on in. All the like faithful Egyptians that followed them out of right. Egypt right. came right along in. Right. Uh, even Moses's like wife, his right. children, right. they would they were added in. Right. And and they they became heirs of the promise. How? Through faith. You were right. always saved by faith the entire way along, whether you were Jew or Gentile. And people were like, this is, this is the problem. This is how all of this helps 
answer deconstruction because you will be told something like, well, the God of the Old Testament didn't care about the rest of the world. He only cared about his chosen people, and he went in and he killed all these right. other tribes. And isn't that just brutal and awful? And it's like, no, this the, you, you misunderstand what's happening here. Anyone could have been a part of the child, a right. part of promise. The only advantage the Israelites had is that they had access, access. to the truth. And that's they, what election is. Yeah, election access is to access the to the yeah, truth. Like, hey, you're part of the children of Israel, the family of God. You live under the blessing of God. What is that? That's access to the truth. And so there, there, there it is. There's the promise. Okay, I'm not in that, but I be, can become a member of that just by right. a simple act. Rahab hung a cord in her window and hid some, hid some spies. Right. Wonderful. Right. That was a faithful act to Yahweh. That that was enough to save her. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. And so I I love pointing backwards and looking at that and saying, "Hey, the reason I know I'm saved by faith, we've always been saved by faith." Yeah. Abraham was saved by faith. Yep. Everyone was saved by faith. It's the whole point of the book of Hebrews. <laughs> yep. And and so when you start to see your Bible as a whole, and reading the whole thing and not just getting bored after Genesis and then starting again in Matthew, that it's helpful. I it never really thought is. Leviticus would be interesting other than entertaining as a junior high kid, giggling yeah. at the at the various uh, deformities and, and diseases and discharges and, and whatnot. Yeah. I remember one time Which somebody... Which parts of the animal you're supposed to cut and yeah, burn. And, and what you can eat and what you can't eat and yeah. all that. Yeah. Um, Kind but of yeah, fluids are supposed to come out of people. Yeah. And which ones aren't. And which ones aren't. And when they can and when they can't. Yeah. Yeah. And that that is all. Uh, and if you listen to it, it's worth a listen. But it's all about separating the holy from, quote unquote, the profane. Yeah. Like what is holy and what is not. What is allowed to enter holy space and what is not. It's not that anything's wrong with you if you're if you've got dwarfism or you've got a deformed limb or whatever. Right. You and haven't like, sinned. You had it. There's. Yeah. And that's why when the guy's blind, they ask Jesus, well, did he sin or did his parents sin? And Jesus is like, ah, oh, none of that. <laughs> it's about, about bringing God glory yeah. and heals the guy. Yeah. And, and Jesus wasn't concerned about that. And so God, Yahweh, wasn't concerned about that. But it was like, right. hey, if I'm going to dwell with people, this is going to be holy space. So this is what enters it and this is right. what doesn't or else it dies. Right. Like, Unholy things that enter holy space are going to die. And it's not about access to God. Everybody had access to the truth. Right. You could have been saved by faith no matter what your deformity or your disease or whatever right. it was. You could have been saved by faith. No, no problem there. It was not a salvation thing. You didn't offer animals for salvation. You offered animals so you didn't die going <laughs> into the temple. That, that was the only thing. It's like, uh, everything's well with me. Hope things are well with you. Let's stay I, good. I would, like, I would like some time in the presence of God without dying. That yeah. would be nice. Yes. And, and so that's what you were looking for with all the sacrifices, in a, essentially. It's, right. it's more purification so that you can enter holy space right. for a moment and experience that, that presence, but it had nothing to do with right. your eternal soul well, salvation. And that's, and that's the thing, too, is, is, is when you look at that, you know, going back to that idea of election and Israel and all of Israel being chosen, all of Israel being picked, but not all of them following through. Right. That, you know, you transfer that to, to what Jesus did, which, again, one of the things Heiser talks about and I love is that Jesus' sacrifice was superior. It right. wasn't just a once and for all. 
It's like, no, his dealt with individual sin, the sinner at the core and individual sin. It wasn't just purification. Is, it wasn't just any, like he dealt with it in a way that had never been dealt with. And that was helpful for me, too, because that is the revolutionary idea of the yes. gospel that yeah. the apostles were taking out, is that you could be absolved of personal sin. And so many times we as Christians look backwards into the Old Testament, see him sacrificing a goat, and we're like, oh, he's doing that so he can deal with his personal sin. No, there was no redemption for personal, yeah. willful, there for were a willful things. disregard of the yeah. law. Yeah. Three things. Go ahead. Restitution, if it was something you stole or yep. something you killed. If you could restore it. If you could restore it, you, you were required to do so and then some. Yep. Or you were cut off from the community, you were cut off from the people and cast out, or you died. It was death. It was death. One of those three things were your options. So the whole law was written so that basically if I unintentionally broke the law, yeah. Then I could do this, this sacrifice, this thing, restore it in this way. The willful, intentional breaking of the law means that you are cut off. Yep. Or you are killed. Like, there, you, there was no remedy for willful disregard of the law. And so that's why Paul looks around and says, the law does not save anyone. Right. All it does is reveal your sin. You know what's crazy about the sacrifice of Jesus? You can be forgiven yeah. for your willful commission right. of sin. Right. And you can be absolved like it never happened. Right. And this is not anything that anyone would have had any context for in the least. It it didn't exist. Yeah. David in in had a personal heart connection with God, and yet he was always like, My sin is always before yeah. me. Yeah. It pursues me. It makes me waste away in my bed. Like, deliver me. And crying out to God, like, you you read the Psalms, and it's like, David had a heart after the Lord, but he was painfully aware yeah. of the sin in his life and the hold, the hold that it had on him. But he and was also the, just as aware of the only person who could actually handle right, it and right. deal with it, which and, is what made David unique. Yeah, and he knew he knew that, Getting in the presence of God was what was going to deal with it. Yeah. And, you know, his when he was confronted with his sin, he fell face down into relationship. Yes. And so Every many time. people in the Old Testament, they get faced with their sin and they run away and hide. Or, or they, they rebel. Or, or they, they rebel or they get angry or it becomes a point of contention. Or it, it was about your response to that. Yeah. And it always has been. But the coolest thing about the gospel is you can then live forward in the power of knowing, hey, I don't have this anymore. Right. That that's right. done. It's cut off. It's well, dead. And and again, the thing that, that has always been interesting for me and, and being that my my theology is Wesleyan Arminian as opposed to as opposed to Calvinist. You know, the whole idea If you of, haven't picked up on that right, yet you right. weren't listening. No. Well, there are podcasts for that. Go look for that. Uh, but but my whole thing is is the whole issue of election has always troubled me. Not because I deny that it's a reality, but because it seems contradictory. Like there are times where you you know see obviously John three sixteen for God so loved the world, the entire world. It is not the elect world. It is in its context. It is the entire world, all of it, mm -hmm. that He gave His one and only Son. That whosoever anyone from the entire world believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's very simple and very easy to understand, no matter what language you read it in. But then you get into the issue of election. You know, when you're when you're hearing about the elect and you were chosen before, whatever. 
And and hearing that from Heiser, I came to that realization. I'm like, the cross made everybody elect. The cross gave everybody access. Where before there was no access to God, there was no access to forgiveness. All of a sudden, everyone has that opportunity. Yeah. Not everyone will choose. Everyone it. to whom the yes. gospel comes. The, the has cross that is already the cross has already completed that work. Right. The access is there. The access to the truth. The access to the gospel exists. But then there comes along to the whosoever believes. Right. You you have the option. Now whosoever believes will have that life. And I'm like. And it, Okay, great. And in the so, Wesleyan yes. Arminian tradition, we would also say that the Holy Spirit awakens our heart yes. to receive that and draws, message. And draws us towards himself. Right. It's, and, it, and we don't deny total depravity. We no. would say, hey, you know, on my own, I'm never going to find Jesus. No. I'm going to wander around in the dark, and that's me, and I'll do the things that I like, and I'm, I'm not going to just find him. Right. But he, his Holy Spirit pursues me from right. from. Early on, and he's just after me. Well, and you and see, at it, a certain point, he opens my heart to receive the gospel. Right. And it's not something I did. Like he, he chose that for me. Right. Like that was wonderful. Well, and you see that you know mirrored perfectly in 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 the story of Adam and Eve is when they sinned and they hid. God was the one who reinitiated the relationship. His grace began right in that moment. Right. Of, I obviously know what has happened here. I am going to go find them. Right. Like we see that right from the beginning. Right. And uh, and so again that that whole idea of, you know, so so even as a as a Wesleyan Arminian, can I say uh, only the elect are saved? Yes, I can, because <laughs> everyone is the elect because of what the cross has done. Everyone has that option, everyone has that access. What they will do with that as the Holy Spirit draws, whether they will obey or they will reject that is that is on them. That is right. that is now their their choice, just as it was for the children of Israel, whether or not they were going to actually follow the covenant that they had with Yahweh, or whether they would apostatize and just go their own way. And to bring it back around, you know, it comes back to what you believe about salvation. Or do you believe you're saved just because of a prayer in your life? Right. Of faithfulness means nothing. You can be faithful to the ways of this world completely, and utterly and totally, and you're fine. Or do you really believe that faithfulness to the Lord means something? Yeah. And to me, I'm like, this is a choice you make every day. Yep. And you continually choose. Yeah. And uh, it's about allegiance, about identification. It's about citizenship. It's about uh, being a member of a family, you know. Right. And with all the good and the ugly that comes with it. Jesus says, remain in the vine. <laughs> remain in me. Don't don't depart. Yeah. Don't Don't be like the... 10 virgins that don't have any oil and go and fall asleep, be ready. Like, yeah. This present active thing that's going on. Yeah. Well, I hope if nothing else, <laughs> you've, you've understood the excitement that these things and trying to learn about these things has, has kind of stirred up in us. I recommend the podcast. Um, if you get into it and it's just too weird, just lay it down there. Yeah, that's fine. You don't have to start with this baptism stuff. Start no. with the first Corinthians one. Uh, if you don't have children in the room, cause it does deal with, uh, um, reproduction, and so yeah. I mean, hey, whatever. And his whole his whole deal on Acts is really good too. Acts is really good. Leviticus is good. Yeah. Um, Ezekiel may not be for everyone, but <laughs> Ezekiel isn't for everyone. <laughs> at least, I, at least I get to hear him disparage all the alien, the ancient alien oh, those myths are good. and ridiculousness. He's actually made a number of marks hanging out at alien conferences. Yes, he does. Like speaking at um, conferences on UFOs and things yeah. like that. He's uh, an interesting dude. Yeah, <laughs> dressed like the, dressed up like Gandalf for Halloween. It's beautiful. <laughs> oh, oh my that's word! Funny. 
Well, this has been a random grab bag, but we actually got to some of the things we intended to get to. We promised you it would either be profound or stupid. You can say, you can draw your own conclusions. Maybe it's profoundly stupid. I don't know. There you go. But yeah, but it's good. It's good to hang out with you guys again. Uh, hope, uh, hope this made a little bit of sense <laughs> and you got something to roll with. But uh, thanks for listening. And we're good. Hearts Have a clear. great evening. Have a great evening or morning or whatever it is you are listening to this right now. See you later. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.